Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, we will be talking with Kevin Clayton from the Cleveland Clavaliers. But before we get started, I want to share a few resources and resilience reminders for you. And as follows news, you can please feel free to recommend a guest to the podcast. Go to asfollowsadvisors.com slash decoded. You can also download our five-step crisis strategy, and you can use this to navigate any crisis in any business at asfollowsadvisors.com slash services. Scroll all the way down and you can download that uh, free resource for you, as well as if you would like to request me as a speaker for your next coming program, please feel free to go to bit.ly slash Vanessa Matthews with one T. And in the Disaster Recovery Journal news, the DRJ hosts webinars every Wednesday. The journal is also accessible through their website and for their events, you can find all of that at www.drj.com. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps our listeners to find us, but it also helps us to understand that we're adding value to you. So with that, we're gonna go ahead and get started. I'd like to introduce our speaker and our guest today, Kevin Clayton, will be speaking on the topic of diversity leadership. He's the Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion and Community Engagement for the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? Doing well, sir, good to see you. Likewise, likewise. Awesome. So um, I, I uh, social media stalked you and I saw that you came from North Carolina Central University. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your background? Uh, sure, Vanessa. So I do have a proud uh, heritage. My absolute, my family had a proud heritage of going to historically black colleges. And I actually played basketball at North Carolina Central University. Um, however, I was not good enough to get to the pros. And had decided a different route to uh, escalate my career. And, um, and I started out actually in sales and marketing with Procter & Gamble and spent a decade with P&G and was selling all these wonderful things like Duncan Hines cookie mix and Jip peanut butter and eventually moved into our paper business and was selling diapers and, and Charmin bathroom tissue and all those good things, which was a great opportunity because at that point I had two, ch- two children in diapers and that worked out really well. I can't tell you how many boxes of diapers I just had to take off the shelf to say, there's something wrong with this box. Let me take it away from you. So with that, um, I've had an opportunity to be an entrepreneur as I've started my own consulting firm after a decade with P&G, but I went in and out of corporate America. Um, and the consulting firm I started was because I wanted to really focus around this work called diversity back then. Be clear, I didn't say inclusion nor equity. It was just diversity. And um, what I saw was when I was at PNG was ways in which you can actually connect the diversity to the bottom line. How do you connect it to, to the business? And then I had opportunities to go back to corporate on a number of occasions 
that allowed me to really test some of the hypotheses that I had and some of the different ways in which I actually wanted to show that it was applicable. Fast forward, I've been in healthcare, I have been in consumer products, I've been in manufacturing, and now I'm back home, which I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, working for and getting in the ability to lead the DE and I work for the team that I grew up cheering for. And it's like a little boy and having a dream come true. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So I hear sales background. I heard an HBCU. I heard family values, manufacturing healthcare. What was it about your upbringing or your, or your background um, that got you really committed to the work that, that you do today? Uh, Vanessa, I appreciate that question because it actually is part of a theme of, of my books <laughs> that I'm going to be writing very soon because all of my life I have been dealing, I have been a part of, of diversity and inclusion and equity. And here's what that means. I told you I grew up in Cleveland. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Shaker Heights, which is a predominantly Jewish community. And I was part of a early volunteering busing program from the part of Shaker Heights that had some people of color to another part that just was all Jewish. No, this is when I was in the fifth grade. I didn't know anything about anything. Like it wasn't about diversity included. I just knew I was being asked to do something significantly different than my classmates were asked. And that was to get up hour and a half earlier, get home hour and a half later and be bused to this community that I really didn't know anything about. And that was a Jewish community on the other side of where I grew up. So when I think about that, though, and one of the things that I, I share with people, for me, sports was a differentiator because of my, and there were like seven of us that got bused to this other area. So what we did was we'd get off the bus and go to the school and all the white kids were looking out the window and they were like, ooh, here are the seven black kids. There were no black kids in this school. But yet I talk about sports because what differentiated my assimilation was that I could play sports. And the kids didn't matter. When they came to gym class, they wanted, they picked the person who could help them win. So with that, I saw that sports was a great, um, really, it, it was a, it leveled out the playing field mm -hmm. because it didn't matter if I was black, short, tall, or white, the other kids wanted to win. So fast forward, I've always seen there's a direct connection between sports and diversity and inclusion because my other, the other kids I went, I got bussed out there with, they didn't necessarily have the skills to play sports and they were excluded often. Yep. So once I started working for P&G, I actually saw how you could leverage diversity and inclusion to drive revenue by selling more product. And it's now been a part of just my DNI ever since, or DNA, I'm sorry, DNA for most of my life. Awesome. Well, that's a wonderful back backstory. So most of our listeners are managers, directors, or vice presidents of emergency management, safety and security, or crisis management. So while most of them probably know the brand of the Cleveland Clavaliers, they probably do not know it as a business. Can you talk a little bit about the business of the organization and some of the risks that you all experience and how your work ties, in, ties into that from a DNI perspective? Absolutely. Let me try to connect the dots. So the Cleveland Cavaliers are one of five companies that are under this um, umbrella called the Rock Entertainment Group. So we have a hockey team. We have a esports team. We have a G League basketball team. We also, in the building I'm in now, we have two, over 200 events that we execute on an annual basis, that being concerts and tractor pulls and Disney on ice and all of those kinds of things. And then there's the NBA basketball team. That's, and we are one of 120 of Dan Gilbert's companies. 
So if I just focus on the on the the entertainment and sports part of it, the risk connecting parts that I'd reference have to do with imagine 19,000 people every other day coming into your building and what that risk looks like, particularly in the state of, uh, in the age of COVID. And actually very soon we'll be having the NBA All-Star Game. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine every, every high valued uh, NBA player, all the executives, all the celebrities, in our building and what the risks go along with that from a liability standpoint, a protection standpoint. And one of the things that is important for us and why diversity and inclusion um, and equity is key to an MBA standpoint is that we wanna have, we wanna be able to see the world through multiple lens because our fans represent multiple communities. Our players represent multiple communities. Also our executives. So just that alone, if you take a look at the NBA All-Star Game, and how many people from all across the globe are going to be here, it's important for us to be very conscious of who is actually making those decisions because it can impact the quality of experience and the safety and also, at the end of the day, the risk mitigation that we have to have in play. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works how it breaks and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. What really excited me about this conversation with you, if we fast forward, so we are in February of 2022, back in May of 2020, uh, we all saw the events that happened with George Floyd. And candidly, it sparked me to finally take the platform that we have and speak about race and equity as it relates to the risk and crisis management field. And honestly, I was scared. I was like, I'm probably not going to have any more clients if I tell them how I really feel. <laughs> so, but when I researched you prior to this conversation, what I learned was that you were able to help set up an infrastructure so that when most corporations were trying to create a DNI strategy and, and find somebody, you were already walking on top of the foundation that you built. So can you help us understand what you and your colleagues were able to create as an infrastructure so that your DNI program could be successful? So Vanessa, I took this job in April of 2019. And fast forward in uh, May of 2020, when Mr. Floyd was murdered, we spent from the time I started really up until that point, really building the infrastructure, kind of building out the foundation because it was a strategic choice for me to come here. At the time that I took this job, there's 147 sports teams. I was the fourth C-suite level individual with dedicated resources and a dedicated department out of 147 sports teams across five leagues. So we were putting all of our strategy in play so that we knew this was about running our business and how do we provide better, better fan engagement? How do we make sure that all of our systems are, are working the way that we want them to? How is our marketing? How, how the players on the court, how are we engaging with them? So it was a total effort. And that's one of the things that was important because we wanted to make sure that this was a comprehensive approach to our entire business strategy and basketball strategy, not just, oh, here's an event, 
let's go hire somebody, and therefore we have a DEI plan. So what we did when Mr. Floyd was murdered, we already had in the community the credibility to actually take the lead to provide some support to the community and offer what we had learned internally on how you can begin to have these conversations of healing and unity. To the point, one of the things that, that I'm probably most, I am most proud of is the fact that the work that we did, the Cleveland Browns and now the Cleveland Guardians, they came to us and said, look, we want to connect with the work that you're doing. And we formed a three-team alliance. And the three-team alliance is the only, only such, such of, a, of a alliance or formation where three major sports teams came together. We meet every other week and have been doing so over a year to focus on social justice in our community and really focusing on how do we leverage our collective assets and the power of sports to drive social change. That was built on the fact that we had a foundation in place. Our other two teams in Cleveland didn't, but we wanted to heal this community and that's how we came together. So the foundation is important. If it's, if it's a reaction to an event, then it's not sustainable because mm -hmm. that says the only reason why you did that is because of George Floyd. Now, some organizations understood that yes, we can, we can actually start now and some organizations have kind of maintained the work that they were doing. The majority of organizations, they wrote a check, they made a statement and they said, hey, let's take the organization through some DE&I training, call it a day. And we're not done. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. far from done. So the question really becomes, is this just a moment or is this really a movement? Because it was a moment that when Mr. Floyd was killed, in order to sustain it, make it a movement, it has to have the infrastructure that you would have for anything else. So we looked at this as a huge opportunity to better ourselves as a company, as a corporation. We tie all this work to, to metrics, to accountability, to bonus, to compensation. All of this is tied to every other system that drives our organization. So I heard leadership, I heard accountability, I heard metrics, and keyword, I heard system. Yes. <laughs> system. Yes. So I'm going to go back to those. So one question, you asked this in our prep, for my directors, for my VPs, what's the so what? Why does it matter? And who cares? Yep. Yep. And, and, and when I think about your business, and let's say that there's some uh, there's some disaster and you have to deploy resources to that to that disaster you, the reason why it's important as i see it and i'll make the parallel to our business is that you want the best and brightest to be able to be at the table and if your organization looked only one way from one dimension of diversity you have excluded and left out the opportunity of having the best and brightest to make decisions to affect those communities that probably look very diverse from all different dimensions of diversity. So diversity is not just check the box and say, oh, look, we have one of those. We have a black male, we have a black female. It's what do we bring based on our life's experiences that allows us to see the situation differently than the mainstream. We all, every single human being has their own set of experiences, but mine is gonna be very different than yours. It's gonna be very different than someone else because of the, the fact that our skin color, our gender, is different. And, it's in, and with that, it is so what, the reason why it makes a difference is because it does impact the quality of decision, 
It impacts if it's a revenue organization, it impacts the ability to drive revenue. If it's, a, if it's a nonprofit, it impacts the ability to achieve mission. This is not diversity for the sake of diversity. This is diversity and inclusion and equity to help drive results that are sustained. Make sure that you have the best and brightest making those decisions. Your response made me think about somebody asked me recently. Um, so my company is a uh, women-owned and, and diversity-owned company. But the majority of my workforce don't look like me. And so somebody asked me, well, don't you want to hire more people who look like you? And I said, well, that'd be great, but I'm looking for people that have the capability. And I don't think that if you all look like me, it's still not diverse. <laughs> it's, we're missing a whole bunch of perspectives. And let's be candid. Most of our clients are late millennials, Gen Xers, and early age baby boomers. They are males. They are females. They're either married some are divorced and they have kids between middle school and college. They shoot guns, they play golf, they travel the world. 50% of my clients do not look like me. So how am I putting myself in a position to build a, a customer focused company if I'm only concerned about, well, do they look like me? <laughs> do they come from where I come from? <laughs> That's not fair to my clients. Right, no, and, and I appreciate that because what you're saying is that you're walking the talk of really what diversity is, because diversity, and, and, and let me just pause for a minute. Oftentimes people look at, at the term diversity, it's a code word for black, female, or some other uh, outward dimension of what I look like. It has nothing to do with cognitive diversity of how I think or my life's experiences. So what you want and what you said is, look, I, I have a certain skill set and a certain experience or life's experience, and I'm gonna bring to the table I want to supplement that and add to it by all these other pieces I don't have, which you're thinking about it from a very smart, practical way. And what I, what I love about your response too, it wasn't emotional. It was like, here's my business objective. Here's my plan. How do I marry the two? Where we get into challenges and in doing this work is when people make this about how they feel and emotionally and say, you know, it's just the right thing to do. Vanessa, it was only the right thing to do if it's going to help you achieve your business objective. If not, <laughs> why do it? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. These are business programs. So yes. in our profession, oftentimes uh, we have to influence people to get people to do things that we want them to do. And especially uh, when I think about diversity and inclusion, um, I believe that there should be some accountability within the organization. I always say, who's my one throat to choke? If X goes wrong, who am I coming to? What I think I heard that was different about how you came in is that it was aligned, your, your hire was aligned to a strategy. And from the very top of your organization, um, it was a need and they found the value in that. So can you talk a little bit about why there has to be accountability for these programs? Sure. And, and my hire was tied to a strategy from the league saying, hey, we need to do better. And, and hiring a, a chief diversity officer seems to be a good best practice that a lot of organizations are doing. But I will tell you, when I interviewed, what's, what differentiated my, I know my offer that I received versus my competitors was I talked about connecting this to the business and connecting it to leadership accountabilities. And that was a, a aha. It was like, wait a minute, we thought we were just going to bring somebody in to help us change 
kind of what we look like. We got eight eight chairs around the table. Let's get one of those, two of those, three of those. Kev, we're good. I'm like, so why don't we do exactly what you said, but let's create a culture where those eight table, eight people in those eight chairs, instead of counting them, let's make sure that they actually have the ability to contribute to the bottom line. Fast forward, the accountabilities are, no, are the exact same types of processes that if we were rolling out anything else. So and let me give an example. Right now in our business, business, business analytics, sports analytics is huge. All right, we, we built out a complete sports analytics department and we staffed it accordingly. We put budget to it and because it was part of the business strategy in everybody's, all of our leadership, all of their uh, performance development, they have a business analytics KPI. It was no different than when, when, when we did what we're doing. It's like, okay, if this is important, let's resource it effectively with human resources, financial resources, and let's develop KPIs. Not counting the eight seats around the table, but what are those eight, eight seats around the table going to contribute back to the organization? How do we tie it to how do we tie it to our fan engagement? How do we tie it to our marketing? How do we tie it to ticket sales? How do we tie it to basketball operations? Instead of having diversity over here, the business of, of uh, what we're doing here, we merge, we merge them. Now to a point, Vanessa, we've actually tied it to compensation, which we know everybody cares about compensation and all bonus eligible team members in our organization have a DEI KPI that they're to meet. And it's not how many people do they have in the room that look different? <laughs> well, I can appreciate that. <laughs> Accountability. And that's how you get it done. <laughs> right. Right. And, and what we try to do is make sure that we weren't speaking a language that the organization didn't know. Mm. That's the other thing that happens oftentimes. We talk about, you know, DE&I. It's like, oh, I don't even know what that means. Okay, well, we defined it. And then we use similar terminology. We use the same systems that we're here on everything else. And it's like, how do we connect this so it's an easy transition? Not it's something that we have to now teach people because that intimidates people. It's like, no, this is, we're talking about humanity. We're just talking about how we can create an environment where people can bring themselves to the organization and contribute. How do we create an environment where our fans can come to our building and feel that they are gonna have a great time? And that goes from the music that we play, that goes from the signage, that goes from how we interact from a food selection perspective, all of those elements go into consideration. So for our listeners, what I hope you're, you're able to take away are not only things that you can do inside of your company from a DNI perspective, but I also think that Kevin has helped to lay out the things that, that you can do um, to add value to your resilience, your crisis, your safety, and your security programs, tying it to your business strategy. Um, driving accountability internally. And also we have a terrible job of confusing people with the language that we use in our profession. And what he talked about today was not doing that and using terms that your colleagues can understand so that they can adapt to the model that you guys are trying to implement. So I could talk to Kevin all day long, but he doesn't have time and we don't have time. So therefore my last question, Kevin, is where can our listeners find you and how can they stay connected? Sure, so I am on Twitter and it's Kevin L. Clayton or at Kevin L. Clayton. Also I'm on LinkedIn um, and actually I'm, I don't mind giving out my email address and feel free to reach out to me, kclayton at cavs.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Espalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.